No helicopters have been procured for me to go to golf course. Thank you. I've never said he wasn't a great politician. I'm just saying he's a <laughs> How'd you play out there today? Uh, well, I found the conditions challenging. Mostly because there's no grass on the golf course. But there never has been. I'm thinking about the swag bag. And I high hope for the swag bag. When you got three crevices on the green, your course is trash. Hey everyone, welcome back. Beltway Golfer Podcast, episode 56, rolling along. Your host, uh, Alex Dixon here. For this week's episode, if you've been down to Langston Golf Course in Northeast Washington, D.C., really any time in the last 20 to 30 years, you've probably come across this gentleman. His name is Ray Savoy. He's been involved teaching um, and and as a, the founder of the Langston Boys and Girls Golf Club, he's been down at Langston and been a fixture there for going on three decades. And he's one of those gentlemen that when when you when you're when you're down there, whether you're paying for your round, whether you're hitting the range, whether you're using the practice facility, um, he's 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 always there. He's either there uh, teaching his students, he's there holding court in the clubhouse, but he's just one of those guys who's you know he's getting up a little bit in age, but he's he's still uh, very active, and he's got a interesting history. He, uh, by all accounts, was an absolute stud of an athlete um, growing up in Washington D.C. Um, had uh, had 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 close calls with professional football and professional baseball, playing some semi-pro football, some baseball in the Pirates organization and has led this life in golf over the last 30 years um it was it was a pleasure to meet and speak with him and and really just let him kind of talk and, and tell his story which i think was important so that's what this podcast is all about it's it's uh enabling listeners and viewers to learn just a little bit more about the, the people and personalities that make up the the, the the DMV golf scene. And I think Ray Savoy is a perfect example of that. So I was excited to bring the conversation and his story uh, to the podcast. Um, as far as updates uh, in the Beltway Golfer world, um, got our second newsletter coming out this week. If you haven't signed up, um, go to beltwaygolfer.com, sign up for the newsletter there, just enter your email address, or just shoot me your e email address on social media, and I'll, I'll, I'll get you signed up for the newsletter. Not only is it updates on new things happening Beltway Golfer, but also including um, all sorts of relevant news related to golf in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area and region with, with, with links out to news stories uh, that you may have missed. So it's going to come out every single month. Uh, be sure to sign up for that to stay in touch. Um, as far as me, since the last podcast I put out, played one round of golf, got out with another podcaster, Adam, who hosts the co-host of the Mediocre Golf Podcast. It's a fun, fun podcast based in based in this area. And they're good golfers. I, I haven't played with Eddie, who's the other other co-host, who ironically I went to high school with, but I haven't seen him since high school. Um, but uh Adam I've played with a couple of times and and you know, he's 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 a he's a good player. Um, Rattlewood was the first time I ever played Rattle, Rattlewood. Um, it's one of the, I mean, it's been around for over 20 years, but it's one of the newer of the nine Montgomery County public golf courses. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's, it's probably best well known for, for, uh, having 
been the set for a good portion of the uh, I Only Want to Be With You Hootie and the Blowfish video back in the 90s, um, which Adam was was sure to, to point out which spots were in the video, which, which is kind of hilarious. But uh, start out with double bogey, finish with five pars to break 80. So, you know, that's if, if you played with me before, you know, I'm not I would I'm, I'm a far I'm far from a stick. So anytime I break 80 is 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 a, is a good day for me. Uh, so that was fun. That was my only round since the last episode. As far as sponsors for the show, Timbers at Troy. They've been a sponsor for the last couple of shows. Go to TimbersGolf.com. It's the only public golf course in uh, in Howard County, which before they became a sponsor, I, I didn't realize that. There's a few privates in Howard County. They're the only public course municipally owned or otherwise, and they are municipally owned uh, by by Howard County, but run and and by Kemper Sports, who is the leaseholder at, at Timbers of Troy. It's a fun, challenging um, 18 holes. It's kind of a more of a, a, a parkland course, but it's about 15 minutes from BWI. Uh, centrally located. If you got buddies in Baltimore and you're in DC or vice versa, it's right in between. So it's a good spot there. Um, if you live up that way, especially in Howard County, they got a great players card with all kinds of discounts and, 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 and preferential, uh, tea times, which I know is, is big nowadays where it's hard to get a, hard to get a tea time, especially on a public course, but go check out timbersgolf.com, um, supporting Timbers at Troy or supporting Bellway Golfer podcast, uh, as well as our second sponsor, Four Craft Cocktails, F-O-R-E, craftcocktails.com. Follow them at Four Craft Cocktails. Um, they are now shipping in 43 states, which is new as just a few weeks ago. They're licensed for the longest time. They were they were licensed just in the state of Virginia. They're now licensed also in South Carolina and Washington, D.C., but that Washington, D.C. license allows them to um, through, I don't know all the details, but through another distributor allows them to actually ship their product to 43 states. So if you're listening to this and you happen to be out, outside of Virginia, certainly if you're in Maryland, um, go to fourcraftcocktails.com. You can order their, at this point, famous trans, transfusions in a can, pre-mixed premium vodka, ginger ale, lime juice, and grape juice. And they've got a few new flavors coming out real soon. So go to fourcraftcocktails.com. Um, Great small business supporting the golf community, and I encourage you to support them. Uh, that's it. Let's get to episode 56 of the Beltway Golfer podcast with Ray Savoy at a Langston Golf Course in Northeast Washington, D.C. Enjoy. All right, so we're out here at Langston Golf Course with, uh, yes. with a legend around these parts, Mr. Ray Savoy. How are you, sir? I'm great. Uh, it's a pleasure. pleasure. Thank, thank you very much for, for uh, taking some time to tell us a little bit about your history here at Langston and just your history in, in general in D.C. and your athletic history. Let's kind of start with, with the basics. How, how long have you been working or uh, been a part of Langston Golf Course? Well, I started back in 1989. Uh, with the nationally known Hooker Kid on Golf program. Okay. And from there, 89 up till 1994, where I started, founded the Langston Junior Boys and Girls Golf program. Okay. And it's been established and we under the uh, 501c3 policy under the Einstein Junior Boys and Girls program. So the, the Hook a Kid on Golf program, that was like a, 
a national initiative, Nas- it was, and it was, it was a big nonprofit to get kids into golf? To get kids into golf. Uh, basically, when we first started out, the hooker kid, we picked up, say, five kids per ward during yeah. that, that time frame. So your total would have been 40 kids. Then, then five years later, you started the Langston Boys and Girls Golf. Yes, the idea initiative came when I I had been working for the D.C. Park and Recreation, and within that five years span, I wanted to find out or make sure there was something else I can do once I retired okay. from D.C. Park and Recreation. I gave them a total of 32, 33 years plus in the D.C. Park and Recreation. Oh, wow. Yes. So the initiative to continue, I formulated and founded the Langston Junior Boys and Girls, which has been very productive. Uh, it's uh, very noteworthy that we get our kids involved. Why was... was what? Why the need to expand beyond what you were doing with the, the hooked on golf? Do you remember? Like, why, well, why you, was it just because you could do more just with a it? Time, just a, basically a time frame. And that uh, forming my own group, I could expand the number of participants. Okay. I went from basically 40 youth to a total of about 120 kids uh, averaging maybe 25 kids per day which came they came from different parts of the city and different groups okay so it was a thing where the expansion was great and we were able with the staff and volunteerism able to fulfill the need to work with our young people uh, what are the age ranges of the During the that time frame, our kids' age range, well, is still even today, it was basically 6 to 18 boys and girls. 6 to 18 boys and girls. And that was going to be my next question. It's still still active. It's still active uh, after all those years. What we did in the initial formulation of the uh, Langston Junior Boys and Girls was not only teach them the game, very basic games of the grip, stance, and so forth, golf etiquette and, and whatever. But we also initiated a educational component where we formulated and started a golf scholarship awards program oh, okay. for these kids. So it's been very successful with contribution from the community groups and people from all over willing to see that our young people get a chance to get uh, a chance at furthering their uh, education. And this, is, this has been based at Langston Golf Course the entire time? This has been based at the Langston uh, Golf Course. So yes. if my math's right, I mean, that's, you know, 43 years since you first started with the with Hooked on Golf. Or get a, and yeah. then, so whatever, 38, 39 years since, since you started Langston. I mean, that's, that's a long time. So there's a lot of those kids, they're, they're grown, grown kids, men and women now. Now the kids are grown men and women who have their own kids. Uh, occasionally, I get uh, the kids to come back. Do you follow? Just, like, have you been able to follow uh, some of their some stories? Of them, and... Some of them, I follow. Some of them, uh, 
have gone on to uh, be successful uh, educators. Some of them uh, business people. Some of them even tried to uh, be professional golfers themselves. So it's been very rewarding to me, and I feel as though I'm very blessed to have the opportunity to offer this with the help of my volunteer group. They are very beneficial to me. Was part of the initiative from the beginning, ideas, these are primarily kids that maybe are of lesser means, maybe wouldn't necessarily get into golf otherwise, or, or am I getting that wrong? Well, the concept uh, holds true to a degree. But in my program that I started, I offered to all kids, okay. period. Period. And yes, uh, I would say 75 to 80% of them were uh, kids who weren't favored with the, as you might say, the rich, richness of uh, community or parents' ability to afford this. Okay. The program has been, uh, like I say, a nonprofit, but there's no fee attached to what is going on. You would note that our program is based on a volunteerism. Gotcha. Our staff and even myself, since its concept, have not received a dime for the uh, what we do for uh, for the kids that we deal with. We do not uh, receive a dime or stipend per se for teaching our kids. It's all so under the volunteer. This program. is a true grassroots community golf organization in that yeah. the, the teachers are just volunteering their time. They volunteer their the time. The kids aren't paying anything. Their parents aren't paying anything. Right. Um, and it's just Langston is donating the space, I guess, for donating you to teach. Donating the space where we're very appreciative of, and it's so important, that you have space to where you can formulate, uh, make plans for how you want to do Let's add different ingredients to, as you would say, a baking the cake. Uh, sure. We went from the basic fundamentals to what we call on-course play, where we allow our kids who have been through the process and have the ability to go out and actually play on course. Some of them from this time and effort have developed the skill to, to go out and play in tournaments, okay. be very successful. Some of them have secured educational uh, richness from it. In other words, they uh, receive scholarships. Along with the scholarship that we offer, the uh, schools have come out to West them and offer them additional funding to further their education, which is so important. Sure. Uh, my, our main purpose is that we want to give our kids and the people that we are involved with, what we call a hand up and not a hand out. Uh -huh. Very right. important. Yeah, that's, that's Very a important. good phrase, sure. Yes. Um, so we got different groups that have, which you might say, sprung up after our initial uh, 
endeavors as far as working with our young people mm -hmm. in this particular sport. Quite frankly and upfront, we, we offer to majority of our young black youth. Sure. Yes, we do get some white participants, which are which they are welcome to participate, but you'll find that 80%, maybe 85% are our black youth who are willing or would like to have the uh, pleasure of playing out here at the historically black golf course. Sure. Yes. Um, now you are a... Uh you're a golf teacher yourself outside uh, of starting this program. Yes. Uh, you've, been you've been teaching my, golf for how long? I've been teaching since uh, I started out in recreation back in the 1989. But I went to get certified as a professional instructor back in 1994. Okay. I had the background and the encouragement of people who have led me, mm -hmm. encouraged me. And one thing I remember from them is, Ray, go do it the right way. In obtaining my credentials as a professional instructor, help foster what I've been trying to do with our young people, which is so important. So there's a couple of things. One, if my again, if my math is right, you you, you essentially became a golf teacher and instructor. Yes. Uh, you were in your 50s by that point. Just about. Just about. <laughs> right, maybe, maybe late late 40s. Yeah. Um, you. But uh, to my next, I'm going to lead into your your kind of your your athleticism. Um, as a younger man, yeah. Uh, when did you? Let me ask you this question though. Before that, yeah. when did you start playing golf? Basically, I started. I took the elective up when I was attending minor teachers college. Okay. That was back in the sixties. Okay. What is minor teachers college? That is uh, like UDC, Federal oh. City. Okay. It started out minor teachers college up at. Uh, Georgia Avenue. Oh, and right that, that literally became UDC? That became UDC and Federal okay. City, you know, entities. Uh, I started doing the golf back in the 60s as an elective, coming out to do this sport. Uh, with the blessings that I've received, I was able to uh, come out and participate with uh not too much of a problem. Right. Not too much of a problem. I really enjoy the venture of doing different things. The traditional sport that I was brought up in, which is the basketball, the football, the baseball. Mm -hmm. But golf was something totally different. And I found that out. And it, I, I began to be fascinated with this sport where you can go out play by yourself, enjoy nature, have the golf uh, components where you have golf integrity, honesty, and as they say, by yourself you miss a shot 
you still count it. Right. You, you, right. you don't right. say, oh, I miss it. So was this, because uh, learning a little bit about your history, and let's get into that for a minute just so people understand. It's like, man, this this gentleman didn't get into golf teaching until he was, you know, uh, later later <laughs> on, on in, in life. Yes. Yeah. You were, you were, you were a hell of an athlete from what I understand. You, you were, you were a, a three-sport star at yes. Mac and Catholic High School. Yes. Uh, football, baseball, basketball. No, I'm sorry. No, um, I have that wrong? Football was not in the curriculum there. Oh, it was Mac not? Okay. No, it wasn't. So, I played the football on the sideline or extra outside of the school, but baseball and the basketball. Baseball and basketball. So was how did main. you? Because uh, I read that you you played some uh, some semi pro football for the for semi the, for the Saints and uh, Stonewall. I personally don't call them semi pro because I didn't receive a dime. Okay. <laughs> I did, however, I did work my way up to play semi pro with the Baltimore Broncos. Okay. I played with the lights of uh, Hezekiah Braxton, who was Virginia Union's one of the star running backs, okay. and a gentleman called Pete Pompey, who was Morgan State uh, <coughs> outstanding athletes. I played with and these the Baltimore guys. Broncos. They were in the uh, were, North American Football League. There you go, the which was essentially a minor league, my, like a minor league. They right. were Baltimore Broncos were. Uh, like a farm team for the Baltimore Colts during that time frame. Okay, all right. They were right under them. What did you play in football? What was your position? Wide receiver. Okay. Uh, I had a, a I had a four four speed in the forty. Oh wow! So you gifted, blessed, and fortunate. And so, um, just before I get into the other sports, so how did you play football? Just through uh, community leagues and that sort of thing well, around the city. I, Learned it uh, in the uh, boys, Polish Boys and Girls Club uh, League. Okay. Uh, that's where I got my start in playing the game. Uh, number five, Polish Boys Club, uh, got the start from there and worked my way, like I say, to the Sandlot Leagues, which was uh, Saints, Stonewalls, Cavaliers. But as I understand it, uh, you also had a heck of a baseball career. And, I and did, I did. Uh, I started out in, in CYO, Catholic Youth Organization, sure. playing in the that league, developing talent and skill, and I took that talent and skill with me onto Newburgh, New York. Uh, quite a, camp, a lot of people don't know that I Studied to be a, a priest oh, during wow. my early years uh, at the Epiphany Seminary up in Newburgh, New York. Okay. Uh, we played baseball up there, so therefore I continued extending my my years of the playing. The seminary had a baseball had, team. Had a baseball okay. team. We had a basketball team. So I guess you might say uh, I was happy. So at some point during those years, you decided that the priesthood wasn't wasn't your calling. And, and maybe give a give a run at some of these. Yeah. At the, well, at the when athletics. I came back, when I came back, it wasn't my calling. But I, when I came back, I uh, attended Mackin High School. First, I started out 
at Eastern High School for two weeks. Oh, so that was that you were young. So that yeah. that you were doing up in uh, Newburgh before high school. Uh, yes. Oh wow. I've, okay. I was uh, between thirteen to fifteen years of age. Okay. I'm when picture, I, was I was picturing that was after high school. Yeah, I no, guess. this is before. Okay. Uh, when, like I said, I came back from uh, the seminary after just about two and a half years, three years, and I found out, well, everybody's not meant to be a priest. But I always kept my religion. I always kept my faith. And, and uh, what's so amazing about why I'm on that subject, Italian, I have a daughter who is a minister. I had two nephews who are ministers. One is a uh, elder of a church. He has his own church. So uh, I see the path of the Lord and how he has guided not only me, but the people in my life, my family, uh, was was so fruitful. And as uh, from what I'm speaking, I always keep God first. He guides me, help me along. Being thankful for the gifts he has given me, the talent that he's given me. A lot of times uh, I've seen him come and seen him go, as they say. <laughs> so it was something. When I got back to the D.C., I started at Eastern for two weeks, as I stated, and I received a scholarship to attend Mackin under the Salvatorian Brothers. And at Mackin, there were only the two sports. Oh, well, they had track and field, but I, I, I did some running, not for the uh, school, but for myself, for athletic uh, entertainment and keeping in shape, more or less. During my tenure at Mackin, basketball, I carried close to a 22-point average. Wow. Playing uh, point point in second position. And for those who don't know, a Mackin, so Mackin was, did they have the Catholic League back then? Like they, yes. Like nowadays, they would have, like, did they have the they, WCAC? They had, they had the Catholic League during that time. Because Mackin closed, noted, yeah. Mackin closed in the 90s. Right. But it would, if it was around now, it would be in that same league, the WCAC with the right. Gonzaga and St. John's and DeMatha. Correct. But, right. Yeah. Well, during my tenure there at Mackin, uh, we played against John Carroll, which they had all the Americans sure. who were number one in the nation in high school during my time of playing right? there, playing against them. Uh, we had DeMaffer. Car- Carroll famously, uh, their star was uh, John, big, big John Thompson. Big John Thompson. I had the pleasure of playing against him. So you guys were about the same era, same age? Yes, okay. yes. Very, very uh, closely related and... and a good friend of mine. Uh, from there, we we had to keep a grade point average in order to play sports. Was I a genius? No. But I was able to keep my grades up where I was able to continue my sports career. 22-point uh, average, like I say, playing the basketball. Came to baseball. I finished up Mac and betting something like 503, 505. <laughs> not too shabby. Uh, not too shabby <laughs> is correct. Uh, I was more or less well, a single double. Okay. 
home runs. Uh, I was maybe 15, 16. But the ability, which I was taught in the Catholic youth, the CYO, helped me propel myself and prepare me for the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates organization. I would hit a single and wind up on second base. So... You 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 had a, a cup of coffee, as they say, with, with the with the with the Pittsburgh with the, with the pi- and the Pirates organization. Yes, was that uh, was that right out of high school? That was right out of high school. Okay, coming out like I say, betting about five oh five. Wow, and with that, uh, I must. Uh, so are you in there? Yeah, I was going to ask. Are you are you because we're already talking about football. So what's the time? So was, was the baseball career prior to the? It football. was prior to the football. Okay, okay. Yeah, Continue yeah, on. Prior to uh, what I did learn about my experience with the Pittsburgh Pirates, which I had known all along, and I came up in the time frame or time of the years where you were told you're not supposed to do this or that. You're not supposed to walk on this side of the street. This is the white side of the street, mm-hmm. back side of the street. You're not to drink out this fountain or that fountain. What? So what? Yeah. So what? Let's. What year is that? That was the say the early '60s that I was, and but I still had the experience where, like I say, getting out the bus to go in a nice restaurant to eat, I couldn't do it. I had to wait for a good friend of mine who was white come back and brought me a nice meal in a, in a tray, you might say. Were you the only, when, during your time, uh, when, were you the only African-American on the team? It was me and one other okay. gentleman who was a pitcher who was there, named John Burroughs from New York. i never forget him. He was a very fine young man during that time frame, very polite. And he experienced the same thing I did. Uh, I did have incident while I was with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, it was a time when we were in Kingsport, Tennessee, and there was a shot. Shot, I'm sorry. There was a shot, shot that I wanted to give my mother something and send it back here to D.C., and they say, well, Ray, you can't go over there and get it. And me, young cocky, I'm going in this store and buy my mother this present. Mm-hmm. Yes, I had the audacity to walk across that street, go in there. And when I walked in there, the whites who were there purchasing whatever their mouth flew wide open, I did get... Uh, a person come over and rest over and uh, talk to me and I more or less like demanded I just wanted to get this item so I can send it off to my mother yeah she had someone else wait on the customers in there and she took care of me real quick hurry up get his money and get him out of here and that's an experience I'll never forget wow that I was able to go across that street and get what I wanted for my mother during that time frame. Uh, and, that, 
at the, at the time. That I mean, that took real courage just to do well, that. Well, I, I guess it was the brassness that I had in me during that time. Even now today, I got brassness off and on, but it's not as prevalent now as it was back then. Uh, I learned things that people say they hear about, talk about, but they never first-hand experience. We would get into a city throughout the South, and we have a two-day two stay, double-headers and all. My white friends would get off in the middle of the city, go in the big, plush hotel. Me and John would, me and John was taken to the suburbs. So a nice boarding home, beautiful, yep. clean and everything. Yep. And it was, it was something that I said I would never forget, but it also, to me, was basically a learning lesson. I had to learn from it. I had to learn what it was all about. I had to more or less uh, mind my manners, you might say, with conversation with my mother. Of course, my dad was always do what your mother say type of uh, gentleman, but he raised us to be stern young men. It was eight in my family, four boys, four girls, and it was a, a very, very close-knit family, and what was taught was uh, respect and love. Number one thing in the family was love. I, I read that you were... Uh... You weren't the only athlete in the family either, right? You had, you had, you oh, had a couple of your siblings no, were, were, no. were real good. I was, I, I had a family of athletes, or I was in a family of athletes. I had a brother, uh, Philip Mike Savoy, who went to Black Hill State from Eastern High School on a basketball scholarship. Okay. Philip Mike Savoy made All-America in football. Oh, wow. Uh, he, well, the All-American, well, I'm not sure if it's little All-American, but he made All-America yeah. in football. Right. Plus, he maintained the basketball scholarship. I had Brother Sterling Savoy who played with the renowned Austin Carr. And he, Sterling, at Mackin, right? At Mackin. Sure. Sterling was uh, a point guard who... He uh, he was uh, a leader, and I guess our dad taught us to be leaders because we, more or less, we worked. My bro older brother and I worked at the age of ten and say, dead or twelve. What did what was your dad? What did your dad do? He was uh, like a custodian for the CNP. Okay. Telephone company. Sure. We had the privilege of going in the White House, you know, and working around the switchboard, cleaning up uh, there. And what uh, part of the city did you grow up? Grew up. I grew up on Walter Street, a renowned street where the whole block was known for the athletes. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everyone on that block were uh, athletes. We had the Miles family. What neighborhood is that? 
that's located uh, between 12th and 13th on Walter. Okay. That's over in the southeast corner. Gotcha. Uh, at that time, it was the old St. Sippin Church right there on the corner of uh, 13th and C. Okay. And that street, like I say, was known full of athletes. Track and field, the girls, the ladies, fast as lightning. Uh, we had the uh, gentleman, uh, Leo, Leo Miles was the uh, referee doing the NFL. Mm-hmm. He was known, he was the athletic director up at Howard University. Okay. Uh, his brother, uh, Roland, or Cushmile, was up in Canada. One of the best backs they ever uh, known up in Canada. You can uh, check stats up there for Roland Miles. He he's in the history books up there. So, uh, like I say, we had uh, athletes. You name it, they played it. Even two Tillywins. <laughs> um, for folks, especially even uh, younger folks listening to this. Um, one name out of Mackin High School that folks may know uh, as an athlete as far as a younger, he's probably, he had to have been at least 20 years younger than you, but it was Johnny Dawkins. Johnny Dawkins, yes, <laughs> yes, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny D. Straight to Duke, he had a long, long NBA also, career. Yes, he did, yes, he did. Johnny, uh, Johnny was tremendous athlete. He was able to uh, go on and extend his career in the NBA. Uh, he was more or less after uh, AC, which is Austin Carr, sure. who had a tremendous year in the NBA also. He was yeah. one of the 50s and then they extended number to 100. But Austin was of all top of yeah. all, all yeah. times, Austin Carr. He was a guy i never forget that was ambidextrous for shooting with both right. hands, left or right. We yeah. have, I've talked about several times about, you know, we're, we're in the shadow of a former high school right here at Langston Golf Course at Spingard. Yes, indeed. And they Spin, Spingard had some Hall of Famers. They, they did. did you Well, play? number one uh, man out of Spingard was Elgin Bell. Right. So what, yeah. uh, I, the, my, my, the timelines and everything, yeah. I won't well, get right, but are, are either of those in your era? Uh, Dave Bing. Dave Bing was, Dave okay. Dave Bing was right behind me. But to talk about some athletes, they had uh, Levi, Bernard uh, Levi, his name, uh, who was a tremendous athlete. He, he was before being, I think, one, one year or two. Okay. One year, uh, maybe one year, two years. That I, I would say, Bing would have trouble making the first team. Bing would have to be on the second team oh, wow. when it came to that. that that's a that's an NBA Hall of Famer there. Yeah. And El, uh, Elgin Baylor was older. Elgin Baylor yeah. was a little bit older okay. than me, and so forth. I'm kind of curious, bringing it back to golf a little bit now. Um, you know, growing up where you grow up. Even back then, there there was a couple golf courses in the southeast quadrant. Well, the, during that time, I, ne- I never was the there. Blacks, but I, the blacks were didn't have more or less a place to play. They were down the Monument Grand, 
Okay. Uh, monument ground on the sandy course and things of that nature. It took, that was the one that was literally right next to the Washington Monument. There you go. And it took effort and timing and, and tradition. That course had sand greens? the one Sanded greens okay. and so forth. Uh, Which was really just a, a fact that if they didn't want to put resources and money into they, growing they, the grass, then they'd make sand greens. Yeah, well, sandy greens for blacks, though. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it took petitions uh, of the people who in the different uh, era, like the uh, the football group who had some influence, the Wake Robins, women's golf group, mm -hmm. who had some influence, and they wrote letters uh, to Congress that they have a place to play. The best thing uh, the blacks could do at that time was more or less uh, caddy or shag ba shag balls. What about here at Langston? Like, what what is your like back then? You're, I mean, you're focusing on football, basketball, baseball, yeah. and growing your career. Uh, then, like, did they, did they, Langston register to you personally? Like in your twenties, like, did you ever play here? Did you ever come by here? Or or, well, go or golf didn't uh, even my, enter your mindset till later. No, well, it didn't into my mind till later on in years okay. and there were guys here which I think you have uh, interviewed and all Ernie sure. Ernie Andrews were here he had a lot of young young golfers during that time frame that were tremendous uh, when I came along the, these guys were still more or less in their teens and, and uh able to perform at a, a high level. My thing is that I always in the back of my mind was to have that education mm -hmm. for the young people that I work with and try to foster. So important because our parent, my parents stressed it to us. And sure. like I say, we, we had uh, eight in the family and we want to make sure everybody got their share of education. I had a sister was before Cheryl Miller's time. Mm -hmm. She was our fifth person in basketball. She was that good. The fifth person in, in, in the, the family? In the family. Okay. We had four four boys, yeah. all of us athletes in the basketball. She, she could hold her own. She holds her own. Yeah. She, her, my sister and I, always played against our younger brothers, and they would get mad at us because we were, <laughs> as I say, now in turn, we, we would light them up, you know, one of those type of things. So All right, do you still have a lot there. of, do you still have family in the city or it's, in the so uh, Family is in this area, more or less. Uh, Maryland, we do have some uh, in Richmond and so forth, but okay. it, it, it's, a, it's a family, in all honesty of love. Everybody wanted to see each other. Everybody wanted to make sure one another is taken care of. We were brought up with that love within the family, but we were taught to share it, to bring it out. Not only to within the family, but bring it out to whoever we meet. Even, even, even nowadays, that we have that love that we were willing to share. It's an overflow type of thing. 
but we also know that it's a thing that we had to work to survive. We had to do what is being necessary. Uh, when I mentioned work, I remember being 10 years of age. Our dad used to take us with him. Not only did I learn to work under my dad, but I also picked up a job at a little grocery store on the corner. I was the good guy because I could get the leftover candy. And everybody used to love to see me come on Saturday afternoon with the candy bag, a little brown bag filled up different candies. What we did, or what I did, was not only share among my brothers and sisters, but among, among the family members on the, on the street. We were brought up where the atmosphere was all family. We had a family that had something like 14 or 15. Didn't matter. Four of us would be down there. The mother would say, hey, y'all come in and put your feet under the table. See, that, that was the love and the sharing. So it was a lot of that passed around in just that one block. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Yes. So you've seen a lot here, you know, being uh, teaching here for over 30 years at Langston. I'm sure you've seen a lot, a lot change here. Yes. Uh, yes. But there's also a lot of, been a lot of change here, not necessarily on the grounds yet, but just around Langston change, in the last few years. Change in the corporate structure. Sure. People coming in. Uh, um, so, so rewarding. Uh, years ago. This place, as they say, used to be jumping. We had uh, Lee Elder here, yeah. who was the manager. Yeah. So did you did you come here much? Like when he, because he was running the place uh, in the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, I was sort of late getting to. I was okay. here when off and on there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they used to have quite a few. Lee Elder. We had uh, Charlie Sifford. We had Calvin Pete. You sure. Know. Those guys used to come when I had my junior program and give them free lessons. Wow. They talked to them about life experiences. We had. The, but by, uh, with your memory, like, do you was there a time, and maybe it was before you started teaching here, but like, and maybe it was during the Lee Elder years or after that Langston. I don't know what the, it was. Was there ever a time where it was it, it was always crowded here? It was always kind of jumping. It was yeah, you know, more it was of a very lively right. during that, that time frame with Lee Elder and people who was there before. So so my thing was he was very he was very in, influential in bringing the pros here. Right. You know, him being a pro himself. Yeah. But Lee always was a good guy is willing to share his time knowledge mm -hmm. and experience with the uh, people that he comes in contact with he's very i was very blessed to have him be with my kids my 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 younger years or younger time with my junior program it was uh, very fortunate to have him have uh james black have uh, uh Charlie Sifford, have Calvin Peake come and do lessons free 
with my kids. It was always a tremendous some, thing. Some of the biggest names. What about so the the clubhouse here? I mean, the clubhouse even nowadays is still you know you can the come. Clubhouse. And you, it's, it's like a real clubhouse. I mean, you can yeah. go in there basically any hour of the day when it's open. Yes. And there'll be at least a few guys in there having sitting coffee around, or just chatting, just sitting around, sitting around, as they say, shooting the breeze. And we were able, fortunate to get. Has that always been the case? Or were they, more, or less, more or less, it always been the case yeah. where they sit around. Uh, at one time, they used to have what they call, uh, uh, I would say, refreshment stand or a bar, you might say, in there. So okay. it was a thing that uh, people would come in, enjoy themselves, and a lot of people would come from all over, you might say, have fun, express the pleasure of being here at Langston. Uh, the plaques on the wall uh, demonstrate that. We're hoping that we get two of the first originators of the uh, promotion of having uh, Langston being given to blacks where the ancient roles in the Wake Robin, sure. women's golf group, Two of the had, their, had their plaques set sure. up on that wall. Um, there's, 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 there's two gentlemen, um, prominent African-Americans that both love golf, that as far as I know, haven't been here yet. One's, one's Mr. Tiger Woods. Yes. And the other is uh, uh, former President Obama. Obama. That's true. I agree. Uh, we made we made tremendous effort in trying to bring Tiger here to Langston. Uh, we even uh, built up a platform or tee box on the backside, especially for him. Uh, through negotiation and going and sitting and talking with them, with myself and my group, board people, we found out there were procedures put in place for him to arrive. And during that time, uh, Lyson Jr. was in shape to more or less generate enough funds. Uh, you had to have X number of dollars. Sure. Not, I don't know if it was for him, but I know it was for his committee, and some funds went to his dad to come out and stuff. do a, a, a workshop, the yeah. foundation, yeah. But we made an effort for that. Uh, for the president, I don't know if the schedule was the problem or who knows yeah. it might have been security yeah, issues not too late sure uh it's been a blessing yeah. for me i like i said i i learned in my early years that you get your paperwork and certification in sure. the various fields done sure. i'm not only a certified pro but i'm a master instructor sure and did I read that you're in the, you're in the uh, USGFT, the United States yeah. Golf Federation? No, Federation of Golf Teachers. U- United States Golf Teachers Golf Federation. Teachers Federation. I got Hall, the acronym wrong. Hall of Fame, and that's unfortunate for that. And as you say, I tell them, do your work. Don't worry about this or that. 
things will come about. Yeah. Being recognized and, and, and uh, people would uh, eventually recognize you. Sure. I was just on it not too long ago as a Lifetime Achievement Award given by the conservative Friends of Langston. And I saw that, right. Friends of Langston and they honor me for that. But to round out your your athletic prowess, you know, I also saw you in the Hall of Fame for the uh, the DC Athletic Association. As DC Athletic Association, they That's honor impressive. me in that. I recognize as a living legend for one of my groups, the DMV Athletics in Action group. Okay. So uh, been recognized as, as a living legend for that. Those titles and honors are. Tremendously uh, respectful, accepted by me, but I want to make sure that our young people get a chance to further their desire to play this game of golf, but also, first and foremost, to receive a, a very good education. That would make me more successful and uh, happy. Are you, I'm just kind of curious, you know, in, in 30 plus years at this location, teaching kids from the same communities, yeah. ha- has the outlook on golf changed at all? I mean, there, the, there's lots of the press, like with the Howard County, or excuse yeah. me, the Howard University golf team and Steph Curry and yes. National Links Trust yes. coming in. But I'm just curious, like on the ground level, does the, does the, does the young black community, has their view on golf changed or is I, I it kind find- of similar? I find that the the uh, kids that come, that have the desire, want to learn, they, they come back because they want to continue learning and so forth. Uh, my thoughts about it, yes, I do recognize the importance of the notices and, and acknowledgement, say of Steph. Uh, Say uh, people, Howard University, the, the great job they're doing up there. One of the, I have to say, one of the assistant coaches was a young lady who used to come to Langston Golf Course. She's been under me. Oh, really? Yeah, she's one of the assistant pros up there at Howard. Oh, so wow. she's a professional golf instructor. What's also. her name? Ariel um, uh, the, the, Dawson. Ariel Dawson. I think I've, the, I've, I've the met her. Judge, yes. Judge Dawson's uh, uh, daughter. Okay. Yeah, she's a fine young lady. And I, I feel good knowing and meeting these these people. Uh, it always does my heart good because I've been known to be upfront, forward with people, willing to meet and greet them, acknowledge their position, but yet still want to push and let them know that I'm about our kids. So you're, st- you're still very, very active. You're still teaching? I'm still the, teaching. The, the, the Langston Boys and Girls Golf Club is still, still, still going strong? That. I got, uh, got some beautiful volunteers, tremendous, Absolutely. you know, volunteers who are willing to say, Ray, I got a couple of hours on this day. Can I come out and help work with Of course. We got, we got a bunch of great people that work with our youth, and it's so important that 
the eyes are dotted, the T's are crossed, your nose are clean, sure. so that you be able to work with these kids. Yeah, well, have, having important role models is, uh, is a big piece of that, and, uh, and they're well, lucky to have you as a teacher. I, I got to give it all to people who I brought, was brought up on, especially mom and dad, and then my outside community, my sure. brothers and sisters. They're not outside the community, but they're in there helping, encouraging me. But the people who I grew up with and, and people who encouraged me. Sure. Uh, well, that's probably a good place to leave it. Um, thank you for the service to, to the community. Thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. Uh, you've had a heck of a career. It's a pleasure thank to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brett. God bless. All right. Yeah. I don't have a good golf game. But I don't really care. I'm a, I'm a regular dude living in D.C., and I want to know about D.C.-centric golf stuff. If you can tell me something that I don't already know, then that is great for me. I don't want the regular stuff. I want exciting stuff. I want different stuff. I want stuff I can't hear elsewhere. But I want it to be about D.C. golf.